My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Please be seated. I've had varying degrees of success over the last six years, recognizing when I am expressing opinions about current events that aren't exactly helpful. Yes, I fail quite often. <laughs> it's so tempting to vent about politics, how this mess in Ukraine began and whose fault it is, really, or the cringeworthy legislating of women's personal health care decisions, never men's. <laughs> but the process, of uh, the process of discerning how to respond most helpfully to social issues for me and for maybe for you too, seems to happen across a landscape that is filled with what sometimes feels like commands to monitor when others are either acting or speaking unhelpfully. It feels like it takes a whole lot to resist being drawn in that direction. I don't want this, I whined. What do you want? Asked the heavenly voice. I want peace in my mind and heart. And I want peace in your mind and heart too, whispered the good shepherd, who then opened the gate and beckoned with a smile. And I was surprised to find that the help being offered immediately began to flow from the final verse in today's gospel passage. I and the Father are one. And what should that mean to me? I almost chuckled and kept thumbing through commentaries that were for the most part dry as dust until suddenly, while pondering the oneness of Heavenly Father and Son of Man, an interpretation jumped off of a dusty page, knocked on my forehead, and blew some spiritual B12 right into my soul. <laughs> Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and I think this is according to William Temple, but I can't recall, is both gatekeeper and the gate itself. I don't really know why, but that suggestion alone and the energy that began to gather around it just expanded the space Jesus is in the business of describing and inhabiting and offering us access to. I felt gatekeeper as gate to be in harmony with I and the Father are one, and that subtle new sensibility became just the tonic I needed to help me move forward with some spirit and my very next step into the sheepfold brought me to a deeper place of awareness about the character of John's gospel. You see, the fourth gospel isn't like the others. For instance, there aren't really any parables, not like the synoptic gospels have. Some scholars say that instead, because the inhabitants of John's narrative are so concerned with the miracles Jesus performs, it is in fact those very signs and wonders that Jesus uses as the engines of learning. Was it, with thoughts of magic tricks in mind, they said, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The text says it was the Jews who gathered around him, which would include his disciples, I'm guessing. So the question is also theirs, ours too, when you think about it. And he responds, I've told you, and you don't believe. 
Look at my works. You don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Whoa, hear the voice. Look at the works. It's about the works. What does that mean? How do voice and works connect? The focus on signs and wonders and the misconceptualizing of Messiah both indicate how much a part of human nature it is to believe right relationship with God is necessarily linked to the vanquishing of earthly power. In fact, it's probably impossible to overstate the extent to which the ancient culture completely understood Messiah to be something like an advanced model of world leader. And not entirely unlike the pagan gods of Greece and Rome, gods as representations of enhanced human qualities. I'm imagining that the Jews who press upon Jesus in this way can only see Messiah as something on the order of a supremely successful, exalted king ruling at the pinnacle of worldly splendor. Sure, with benevolence and great care, but with trappings, jewels, precious metals, flags and plumes. Modern scholars love to point out how in the first century there was definitely a connection going back to the time of Moses between high quality earthly trappings and God's favor. What Messiah is actually about and what they might not have been ready for is how Jesus' signs and wonders, the real Messiah signs and wonders, the power they are so impressed by, what looks like magic tricks to them. This power is entirely subordinate to love. I think they loved love, sure. But where Messiah is concerned, I think it might have had to be the kind of love that had to fit into what was considered a very necessary framework. A framework, the identifying vibration of which, the very life force of which, could not have been without worldly power. The power framework had to come first, and only then could the love be fitted in and around the nooks and crannies. And the thing about Jesus is this, for him there could be no power. There could be no signs and wonders unless that power found its generating basis in love. For Jesus' power doesn't exist except as it is born of the loving intention. And I, for one, do not believe that can be overstated either. And so if that resonates with you even a little positively, then I'm guessing you are open to the interiority of Jesus, which is a really good thing because I think that's exactly where he wants to meet you. And I'll tell you why. The notion of I and the Father are one is incredibly powerful, mysterious and powerful. The mystery cannot be fully expressed. We can only gather glimmers. But if you are able to see and feel and truly experience truth in the knowledge that for any kind of power to actually be helpful, to be part of the God force or however you wish to call it, it must be subordinate to love, 
must only be concerned with expressing love that is unqualified and unconditional. If you are able to enter into that space, that sheepfold, it is there that I and the Father begins to take on new meaning. My sheep hear my voice. Think of Jesus' voice. What does it mean to hear Jesus' voice? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes lots and lots of pronouncements. Abide in my love. Love one another as I have loved you. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against another, forgive them. Settle matters quickly with your adversaries. Go the extra mile. Beware of practicing your piety in public. Don't store up treasures on earth. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Don't judge, ask, seek, knock. A number of years ago on Ash Wednesday, I reflected on Matthew's gospel passage about practicing your piety in public, about storing up your treasures on earth. And that reflection helped me to realize how much difficulty I have reconciling the Jesus who washed the disciples' feet, the Jesus who says, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Difficulty reconciling that Jesus with a faith that would be interested in forcing you into all the things you must do to get right with God. I found that naturally, I naturally relate much more to the Jesus who is more interested in getting close enough to me to help me find a way to want to do the kinds of things that make for rightness with God. And this is why I feel so strongly about the power thing, about how Jesus' power can only happen when it's love that generates it. So I find myself continuing to move into a corner of belief, or well, actually expanding into a sheep meadow on a heavenly hillside where all the pronouncements he makes throughout the Gospels aren't orders but invitations. What if what they really are are expressions of his personal commitment? Personal commitment to devotion offered by the human Jesus. For me, that kind of thinking would change everything. It's the kind of thinking that would recognize how he's modeling for us. And you know who really gets this? That, that healing fellowship that meets in our parish hall, the ones for whom there is no power except that which is born of love. They don't criticize or even advise. What they do say is this, I can't presume to tell you what to do. I can only tell you what works for me. That's what I think Jesus is really all about. Modeling what it means to make a personal commitment inviting me to come to a place where I can come to understand it as a place where it's less about believing in Jesus than it is about believing with him. With Jesus. With Jesus, I don't think it was ever about holding anyone else accountable. I suspect that holding others accountable, any others, is vastly different once I have mastered the personal commitment thing. 
It's always been about realizing that loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving neighbor as, and self aren't orders, they're invitations into personal experience. And if that's so, it's easier to imagine that it's from that kind of place Jesus speaks when he says, I and the Father are one. And his modeling then would have everything to do with the desire for you to personally engage in the same way through voluntary personal commitment and come to the place where you too can say, I and the Father are one. Because even desiring to do so, I think that's what it means to be the sheep that hears his voice. Amen.